Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. Uh, we had a little technical glitch there for a second, so <laughs> we're a few minutes behind, but it seems like we are back and we're live. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock. I'm seeing the YouTube pop up now, so I think we're good to go. And I'm joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm going to kick it over first to Spartan Grown. Welcome back, Spartan. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, uh, panel. Thanks, every chat, or everybody that's here. Uh, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. And um, if you don't do the social media, you can shoot me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to answer any of your cannabis growing. I like cannabis cultivation, cannabis cultivation questions. It's a great way to put it. And next up, we've got Dr. MJ. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. MJ Coco from CocoaForCannabis.com. Um, yeah, you can find me at cocoforcannabis.com here every week on the, you know, growing with my fellow grower show. I've got my own YouTube channel, Dr. MJ Coco and, uh, on Instagram, I'm excited about talking about this synthetic seeds article and whatever else comes up on our show today. Definitely going to do the first full hour on the synthetic seeds. I had another article I sent you guys. It's kind of quirky. Uh, maybe just do like half an hour or a little bit on that because it's uh, not as relevant as this one, I think. And uh, with that said, I want to pass it next to Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates, Zentanol on YouTube and also Zentanol Consulting. You can check out my uh, social media information on Twitter and Instagram at SyncAngel. And uh, yeah, if you have professional inquiries, you have pest issues, their plant health questions, please um, check me out at zentanol.com. Happy to have you back. I think that you'll have some input here on this article for sure. Next up, we've got Noah the Grower. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower on Instagram. The two E's, you can find me there and uh, here most weeks. And uh, happy to be here and uh, talk to all you guys. We're happy to have you back. Next up, the American one. Hello, Jack Battle and everyone in chat. It's always good to be here. I'm the American one, uh, the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And you can hit me up there in the DMs if you want to uh, ask me anything or say hello or even get some Amy Aces or something else that I've been playing around with. So, yeah, it's good to be here. Happy to have you back and happy to be back live. Uh, I want to do the regular little uh, routine that I do every single week. And it told me that I don't have permission to go live. So I was like, oh no. And I just uh, did what I usually do when I have a technological issue, which is close it and then reopen it and try again. And funny enough, that fixes a lot of tech issues and it worked today. So uh, power it down, power it back up. But today it was just literally I had to X out the window and get it back going. But without further ado, I guess I should go ahead and share my screen because we're gonna be talking a little bit about the article that I've got up here on my other window. So let me see here. Here it is, share. And I'll make this full screen. All right, can you guys see this? Yes. All righty. So this uh, article was published in 2022, so very recently, uh, November. So thank you to Matthew. I believe you shared this with the group. And uh, if you want, you can actually go ahead and read off the article title, and then we can uh, get started with the top, which is the abstract. Yeah, absolutely. I have highlighted a few parts on my copy. We don't need to use mine or anything like that, so I can make sure I can have some copy points. But the title is Cannabis Synthetic Seeds, an Alternative Approach for Commercial Scale of Clonal Propagation and Germplasm Conservation. 
really looking forward to this one. So for those who are wondering, um, in my, I guess, uh, layman's terms, I, I would kind of categorize this as sort of using um, similar to like a tissue culture or a micropropagation with a similar ideology to what seemingly looks like tissue culture in a seed form. But um, I guess we could kind of work through this a little bit at a time and uh, see what they have taken from their study here. It sounds like both you and Doc have uh, some stuff highlighted. And I don't know if you want to share the screen and show the highlighted stuff or if it's just like something you have on paper. And if so, uh, we could go th through that and uh, touch on the things that you found most interesting or important. I like your flexibility because I know we didn't necessarily know exactly what we were going to do. Um, I don't necessarily know if it whatever makes sense logistically best. Um, I, I guess we could just sort of talk about at first, like what this is about. I'd be happy to summarize it. We don't have to write, uh, read anything. And if uh, Dr. Coco or anyone else has a particular part um, that we want to talk about, I, I suppose we could go through that as well. But is that cool? I could just summarize it for people who are not familiar who want to know. Yeah, what I think that'd be good. About. I've got the abstract I zoomed in now pretty uh, large. So anybody who's watching on YouTube can read and we won't, uh, you know, patronize you and read it for you. Uh, if, if you are listening to the podcast, you can click over to the YouTube just for a second, pause the video, read this you know, one paragraph abstract, and it'll give you a pretty good breakdown of how scientifically they describe the study. But then uh, Matthew will give you a quick overview, and then we'll go into the pertinent points. So the quick overview is that um, these aren't like uh, these aren't like seeds that they've taken like the genetic information out of and put some more in or, or something else into them or anything like that, like in the embryo. Um, uh, despite the name, this is actually very much like what Jack said. This is like uh, taking like a, a propagule, like a little, a little cutting, a little piece of a, a plant tissue and inserting it into, in this case, hydrogel, um, which is kind of like a little, if you've ever had a uh, boba or like, uh, you know, boba milk tea, that kind of stuff. Um, they look like those tapioca, tapioca pearls a little bit, but they're clear. Um, and anyways, this is kind of functioning like a seed in that way. If you can think of the little plant pieces like the embryo, right? And then the hydrogel is like the hull of the seed. Now, basically, they do this with, they're doing this with cannabis. This has been done with many other plants in the past. Um, there are different sort of use cases for this, but essentially, one of the things that you, that's helpful for this, and one of the things that they're investigating here is they're trying to increase germination rates. They're trying to uh, make this more successful for sort of long, longer term storage. And so since this isn't like an actual seed, uh, the people, the technical people who are administering this or would have to administer such a product are basically kind of uh, inheriting the need to like regulate the hormones and other sort of processes that are going on in this tissue so that it doesn't like kind of uh, grow more than it should in storage or you know, die or anything like that. So that's kind of my basic summary is talking about when I'm talking about synthetic seeds, essentially. So just as a clarification, um, we've got Brandon Rust jumping on, I'm going to go ahead and admit him. But essentially, one of the main differences, like you kind of just described, is you couldn't just go ahead and plant this into a medium or drop it into a paper towel. It's going to be more like inheriting a tissue culture cut or clone and having to manage the hormones and the media, which is a gel versus something that like a seed you could just naturally plant into soil or whatever your media is to get it going. 
I'd love to get uh, Dr. Coco's take on this also whenever. No, I can jump in. Um, No, I mean, to make them, I think you'd have to be aware of all of those things. But once you got them, it it sounds like they would function more or less like seeds. Um, Storage is a bit of an issue. And, you know, I don't think long-term storage is very viable with this method, but it's an interesting way to potentially, um, you know, transport. I, I mean, I don't know. There's different sort of, I, I guess, things that you could do with it. You could use it for propagation, and they're talking about doing like large-scale propagation. So, a, a commercial grower that wants to, you know, have say. 500 plants every two weeks could just contract with somebody that delivers, you know, 500 of these little propagules or whatever, um, these synthetic seeds. And they could be assured just like they would of, of growing clones, you know, of the, the genetics of that. Um, I think the question still needs to be answered. Well, why wouldn't they just send them a clone? Yeah. Um, and you know, they talk about some of the benefits of that in terms of, you know, I, I think the disease vector and, and potentially, you know, mitigating the disease vector is part of that. But I mean, I, I could see I, I could see some applications for this for, you know, companies that specialize in making these and they've got their, you know, genetics that you can be really confident on. And there's no. um you know, risk of disease or pathogens or whatever, then I, I guess I can see a market for that. But I don't know. The I pros and cons aren't, aren't really, yeah, yeah aren't I, really I, super I, so To counter that, though, I'll say that there are now clones being sold with clean bill of health. Like this is mm-hmm. when the test was taken for hoplite and viroid and tobacco mosaic virus and all these other viruses. We tested it on this date and these clones were at least at that time clean from X amount of viruses, viroids, et cetera. And um, so to go back to your question, yeah, why but, you know, you just I would just also phone? say but, that I still think docs onto the, to the biggest use of this. And that's for shipping because once you yeah. get past three, four days, you know, and the I mean, size, once you get past like a thousand, days, yeah, on the phone, it's going to struggle. Yeah. And yeah. this keeps small light. It's going to be cheaper to, to ship. And um, it doesn't need the light. If you use the, like the study was getting into here, I'm going to try to say it, getting into using the, acetyl salicylic acid and that Mm -hmm. uh, gets you away from having to use light and cold um it was showing even 150 days with that addition uh that they were still at 100 percent viability that's pretty epic yeah half a year they uh, did better with much maintenance light though if you read the they still did light at all and they didn't do fast so well it took longer no, well, if you look at the ASA, uh, with yeah. the ASA and then they it, they took the mm-hmm. light away, it was fine. Without the ASA, yeah, they struggled. They didn't get any. Yeah, it was the ASA that was the factor there, I think. Okay. Yeah, light was only a dependent factor when Without ASA wasn't involved. Got you. But that's I actually really... It's almost a half a year. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, oh, no, that's a good point. Yeah, so... And to be at 100% viability. I mean, seeds are at 100% viability in half a year for the most part. Seeds aren't fucking stable. Not clones. Yeah, that's true. So for a a commercial variety, something you're sending to a commercial, 
building, you know, because this is going to be probably commercially used. If you want a stable clone, that's going to be the clone of each other, but in seed form, kind of. I think this is the solution for that. I, I saw on. Uh, nope. Yeah, I see some markets for it there. Can There's already tissue that- culture clones being sold. I mean, that's already currently a thing. Do you have to refrigerate thing. those or anything in, in, in uh, shipping? Not with, not, with, really not with that, that, not with that awesome, mysterious, magical okay. ASA, bro. Germany or a different country. This is invaluable if you think about it like that. You know, yeah, that's a really good. Uh, yeah, like you're putting the I don't think like, it gets around the legal sort of regulations as like at all you're basically sending germplasm you're sending house a cowboy he pieces care. of the plant um, <laughs> that are capable of, of you know generating whole new plants so yeah but they're not gonna do these that plants tend, these plants tend to usually <laughs> it's not, this right? plant it's just thc content what makes it legal or not legal and i think the thc content's gonna be pretty low in, in this material so I mean, you could claim hemp. Even hemp, though, is like a yeah, certain international yeah. regulations behind sending it. Different Matthew, I'm curious because we talked about we talked yeah. about potential pathogen mitigation. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Do you think that there is? It, to me, it would seem like there's going to be mitigation, but compared to like a, a tissue culture clone or a well kept <laughs> clone, uh, but and not all, all clones are well kept and during different times of the year. So I'm curious, what's your thoughts on the uh, pathogen mitigation with this? Yeah, I agree with, I want to first off say that, um, you know, I also agree with Dr. Coco and a few other people that there's a little bit of reticence, you know, even for me for like adoption, but that there's some very, I feel like there's some very specific avenues where it's like maybe the most appropriate. And and you touched on one right here. Yeah. Because speaking purely from experience, um, I've also, I've worked with a lot of people where like, they could have really used this um, <laughs> if this was an option rather than yeah, having so like hundreds of thousands of plant, like little plantlets that uh, they didn't have nearly the labor or um, fortitude for one way or another to like really be able to, to uh, manage. And, but then, and, and there's nothing, you know, like I'm not trying to, it's just that it's unfortunate because it creates a, a subpar product. And then, then you have the invidious situation of having to market or try to sell such a product. And I think that's, um, you know, on the one hand, as a nursery, you have to do that. So, you know, you have to grow good plants and be had a way to do that kind of in a more tessellated or like, um, you know, so you can have like a rhythm or a pattern. You don't have to deal with all of them at once. I think that'd be really crucial and helpful. Or keeping a ton of mothers. Like if you were like, oh, I did a pheno hunt and I'm going to take a thousand clones. And instead of having them in, you know, uh, you know, well, whatever is four by two trays that are stacked all the way to the ceiling. Right. And you've just got a little. Matthew hasn't hit on the IPM aspect of mothers as opposed to this kind of a. I mean, well, somebody's keeping mothers. So let's get into one aspect. They're talking about in vivo or in vitro sort of sources of, you know, genetic material or sources of material. And one of the interesting findings was that they can both perform equally well. But the, the in vivo stuff is actual cuttings of an actual plant. Um, so I don't think that it has the same, you know, surety of being disease free that the in vitro sources, which is from, um, you know, uh, 
culturing. Sorry, my my brain. Like hydrogel, I think was the, th- the term that they're using. But it, it's no, hydrogel thing. is no, what that's you, just the you carry encapsulate it. Um, what do we do? Embryonic, with, right? Yeah, embryonic from um, tissue culture. So if it's taken from tissue culture, was what I my brain was like really tripping over. Um, then they were calling it in vitro. And if they took it from a plant, then it was called in vivo. Um, and I think that if you're doing in vivo, somebody's growing plants and cutting them up and, and you know, taking the, these are actual nodal segments. So Life like from a node where there's a concentration of hormones, they're, they're just taking a sample of tissue. Um, and encapsulating it in the hydrogel. Yeah, and I mean, like, and I, and for that reason, it's like really important to have some sort of like, you know, some sort of certificate of health, right? Some sort of confirmation, uh, preferably, you know, like something that's more than just one time, you know, a while ago, you know, we didn't retest or we didn't recheck or there's no other sort of way to catch that. You know, you want to be very biosecure when you can. And I agree also, like, I think we could fuse this sort of technique. I know that a lot of people might think this sounds blasphemous, but you could perhaps even use this as a way to inoculate the tissue with certain microbes, um, not the ones or less of the ones you don't want, more of the ones that you do want. And perhaps yeah, you could even, yeah, exactly. Endophytes, you know, maybe even mycorrhizae at some point or something like this. Um, other sort of, uh, you know, sort of my, microbial symbionts that could be, you know, they can kind of let it start off um, with the, uh, hitting the ground running, you know, and I think there, there could be some way to do that um, uh, really, really streamlined and sophisticatedly. Uh, I think that it has, you know, this, I think when people first see this, I think of something that's sterile. And certainly that also can have be a benefit uh, in that you can like not have hoplite viroid, for example, and, and, and that sort of thing and make sure that the plants you're receiving are clean, but you could go one further and making sure they're protected at a microbial level or also other ways too, you know, um, other microbial, or sorry, not microbial, but other like uh, compounds maybe um, could be used to sort of um, uh, benefit the plant again at this sort of like crucial stage. That's a great point. Um, just for those who maybe haven't heard of or been familiarized to the terms I had to re-familiarize with myself, even though I've heard them before, in vivo and in vitro. Uh, the etymological origins of in vivo and in vitro come from Latin, in vivo meaning or describing something within a living organism, while in vitro means something in glass, so such as a test tube or a Petri dish. So that would be the difference like Doc was describing. In vivo uh, is like a living tissue or like a clone where in vitro is the like tissue culture essentially in a glass or a petri dish or some sort of culture that is uh, going to be a s- separate type of process. So I just don't want to take for granted. A lot of people have maybe never been exposed to that terminology before. Um, so just kind of breaking down the differences. So help me understand these, these seeds that they're sending us are just genetic material, plant material that they took from a node off of a plant that is encapsulated that's what that that's what we're looking at i believe so it's a marathon he cleaned them and treated them though and and they pretty much tell you exactly what they did to the pieces and the materials and methods we could do this 
Yeah, yeah you can go through. It. We could we could go through it, and uh, right. I'll just briefly uh, pull back up the article and share my screen again. And I'll scroll down to the method section. And we could learn a little bit about how they went through. All right, plants full text share. All right, boom. So introduction. They just talk about the background, all that good stuff. A lot of the prior research uh, results and discussion. Oh, is there even a methods? Tripping. Yeah, there is. Yes. I gotta keep scrolling, keep I guess. Okay. Uh, what are you looking for? Method section to figure yeah, out how cool. they treated the um, essentially in vitro. Because um, we were just talking about what they did to the in vitro, um, yeah, they did earlier. In vitro and in vivo draft. There we go. Micropropagation, mother room, lavender, respectively. Okay. Uh, they use slurricane. We talked about this before, which uh, I prefer and like because that is THC strain and uh, pretty popular in the California and Canadian market and many others, uh, Michigan as well, I think. That's a do si do across the purple punch. Uh, originally dropped by in-house genetics, but then Archive, who made the Dosidos, was like, fuck that, we made Dosido, so we're going to use that in this cross with Purple Punch and call it uh, Slurricane as well. So both of them dropped it. And so there was a little bit of controversy around that. So I'm not actually sure which one uh, they're using this, but I at least like that they're using a relevant strain where a lot of it's stuff we've never heard of before. Um, so just thought that would be interesting to talk about. But here we go. They're talking about vitamins, um, you know, and agar the sucrose they're giving you basically their uh solution that's how they grew the in vivo ones and then the next one is how they took them from a actual plant yep 18.6 light dark photo period they're telling you ppfd amount of humals uh 800 rh 55 to 65 percent 23 plus or minus three degrees celsius so in the 70s uh, maybe low 80s and uh, yeah, so pretty typical stuff here as far as like mother rooms, vegging, light cycles, all of that. The main difference is the fact that they were starting with some from. Uh, well, they were vitro. explaining how they grew the uh, in, in vitro ones out to get the pieces. And then that second one, explant preparations, those they took 10 centimeter shoe cuttings. And they sterilize them. Now, I want to ask Matthew, this sterilization process, that wouldn't kill everything. Like, it wouldn't kill hops. What do you mean? Hops. Yeah, so you can see here that they use a very important adjective here. They say, well, no, I mean, mean, that's not the right term, but surface sterilized. So they hit the the surface. They didn't, um, and that's actually one aspect of uh, genetic sequencing that is so difficult uh, because we have, we have very sensitive tools to do this. And if you, if you don't account for certain things, you'll get the genes of endophytes that are inside the tissues, sometimes even inside the cells in some, uh, in some cases. And uh, you won't be able to tell one from the other necessarily, depending on what you're doing, or if you're not accounting for that. So yeah, the surface sterilization only counts for that. Exterior of the plant, and they immersed uh, the cutting in 60% ethanol for 30 seconds, followed by a treatment of 10% household bleach, 0.62% active chlorine, and 0.1% tween 20. Uh, Fisher Scientific, Michigan. What is tween 20? Like a. um, I probably mispronounced it. Like a wedding agent or something? I don't know. I don't want to hear anyone. I'm pretty sure it's a. uh, Here, let me check. 
I don't hear no one give me shit about dunking my plants in sulfur when they're doing bleach and fucking <laughs> ethanol. <laughs> Jesus. And Tweet then the 20 is, is this, I hate to say that, this is pretty common, right? Isn't this pretty mm-hmm. common in agriculture to use bleach to this sterilize? Is a, yeah. This Hell is, yeah. Well, sure, but this is like a, this is for like, it's just this like experimental protocol. Yeah. It's like Cook's postulates yeah. kind of stuff. Well, it says this is uh, uh, just a, process described by Zerai et al. 39. Here's the article that they describe how they used it as a powerful tool for industrial scale in vitro pro- propagation. So this um, mm-hmm. scientist and their group figured out that um, the article is J. Cannabis Sativa L. Photo Autotrophic Micropropagation, a powerful tool for industrial scale in vitro propagation in vitro cell uh, development biology. That was in 2021. So Anybody who's interested, we will link this in both the podcast Dude, they, and YouTube. They left it in the spinner thing for 22 minutes in the sterilization solution. That's pretty, that's a long time, it feels like. Yeah. You feel like it would dry it out really, but I guess it's not. Or something, yeah. I think that's pretty standard. Like, have you guys researched tissue culture? Because, like, I, I was trying to learn how to do it myself, and a lot of these people do that pretty standard. It's like they wash the plant, essentially. They get it sterilized, and, and it, then yeah. they put and they it. basically just peel back the outer ledges and just use the inner shit. Well, and they take the tiniest little cuts. Like, they have, like, you know, sterilized um, surgical <clears throat> equipment, essentially. Yeah. And they're taking very, very tiny cuts of meristem. Like the top five tiniest. millimeter cuts, mm-hmm. five millimeter essentially, and then uh, they're talking about here um, seventy-five millimeter of calcium chloride. Anyway, this is a very interesting article, so I think that uh, we should keep maybe moving forward with uh, how they, like Tao was saying, brought it from that tissue culture back to a plant. But essentially, they just as it grows, uh, you know, slowly but surely, it grows out of the process of tissue culture. And they coax it like seemingly through the process with using the chemicals and solutions that they have available to them. I'm sure once you start working with this kind of thing, you'd have somebody get trained, right? They have somebody come to your lab or you already have somebody in your lab who's trained to do this type of thing. And they're your person who gets the stuff set up and then they could train five or 10 other people to do this. And it seems really difficult at first, but once you get the uh, infrastructure laid out for this type of thing, I feel like it's going to be a viable solution for a lot of commercial grows because yeah usually you're not just winging it no yeah this is basically just a complicated like seed germination mixture i mean there's not much there they're saying that they put it in 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 rock wool and gave it a special blend of nutrients and and sucrose and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i i don't think that I definitely think that that part of it could be streamlined for people. Again, it's going to be hard to like mimic this at home, but if a company wanted mm-hmm. to sort of make a product for this, I think that they could pretty easily mimic that. Martial artist 2012 asked the, how long does it take a synthetic seed to get to normal vegetative growth? That I have no idea. Did, did anyone highlight that in the article? I didn't actually see it or take note of that. I don't think they mentioned it. They they followed them for only 15 and 30 days. They checked in on the uh, regrowth. And uh, if it had, as soon as it had uh, two real leaves unfurled, I guess they called it a success. Success, it seems like, yeah. Right. Regrowth mm. of seeds was recorded daily for up to 15 and 30 days. It was defined as buds protruding the encapsulation matrix and develop at least one fully unfurled leaf with more than one leaflet. The experiment was conducted as a randomized block design. The cumulative regrowth rates were determined from 
10 pooled sin seeds collected from two culture vessels. That's what and it yeah, sounded like to me that regrowth was pretty plant. slow. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go. Actually, uh, like they didn't. Jack, could you hit us with figure one? A second. Yeah, sorry. I was pulling up uh, on the other in the background. There's a group called Canomic Laboratories who does tissue culture. And I wanted to just kind of shout out the fact that there's other options available. Uh, Is this figure one? That's figure two. Okay. Figure one. There you go. Yeah. For those who are curious, this is with the hydrogel. Balls look yeah, like, like doesn't that look like boba nightcha? I would say so. Um, with little plants growing out of it. Yeah. So I mean, the answer to that question is, I mean, like, I mean, not that long. I mean, it, it was slow, but like, not that much slower than a in vivo. Because look at the in vivo in Rockwell. It could just be that the scientists aren't necessarily crushing it with their uh, cloning techniques and environment and everything else. But it sounded like they had pretty proper uh, temperature and relative humidity and light and everything. Hold on. Uh, they're saying uh, slide D there is precocious germination, which they were, uh, that's so not of the ASA. This is sort of the earlier seeds, I guess, or the earlier attempts. Um, where are we in the article when, when figure one pops up? Around two. It's pretty early on. Results and discussion. Sorry, I realize I'm not looking at the same thing. Oh, you guys are. Yeah. Yeah, because he, that's because so those are precocious germination. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Like precocious germination was one of the problems of doing this. Like the, the seeds would start growing when you didn't want them to. And in order to prevent them from, from doing that, you know, other attempts had been to keep them very cold to sort of send them into a, a dormant state. So if, if I'm correct, what they're showing there is when they weren't set in a dormant state, they started growing sort of on their own. And, and that's what they looked like. Yeah. And this is figure two we're seeing now, because this is the website. I think that uh, you're probably looking at the, the actual paper in the PDF form. Yeah. It, make, um, it makes sense to me that if they're not given something to stunt them, of course, they're going to keep growing. Essentially, it's a tissue culture cutting and cuttings grow. If they have exactly been kept in proper environment, that's not like uh, cryogenically frozen or something, um, exactly. which might probably kill the plant unless it was done in a very specific way. But I'm just kind of going through Especially all of the figures the right now. Well, when when they're talking about how normally you need to give them light, or giving them light really improves the the survivability rate. Um, yeah, they're they're still alive and metabolizing and and apparently photosynthesizing to some extent. Um, so that's why you're on sort of a clock and that's why the the hormone that they were giving them the the acetylsalicylic acid is sort of what they're claiming to be the key to being able to do this it shows it look at the control they're just sprouting out in the asa they're just dormant still chilling in the gel and yeah the only ones that go through that 150 days are the ones that have been cultured and treated so it seems like this is if you're going to do this method it's almost like a necessity unless there's some other chemical that acts similarly to make your plants dormant or if you want to treat them with something like a cooler temperature or some other way to try and prevent them from growing but it seems like this is probably the easiest way of going about it as far as uh yeah 
There was a, a key point that I wanted to highlight, though, that I had in my notes was I think this is really slow regrowth. Like I, I, that's sort of one of the Achilles heels at this point is, you know, growing from clone or certainly growing from seeds like real seeds are going to be a whole lot faster than regrowing plants this way. So until this is improved, I don't see any sort of commercial operators just you know, ordering 800 well, sin seeds every two weeks or whatever. I would see them doing that if they're in Michigan under plant counts. And then later they can eliminate mm-hmm. a lot of their fucking mothers and all that bullshit. But you're going to be growing a seed for, get for a month to get like a three-inch plant. Yeah, but I can fucking add a flower room too. Yeah. Maximize my plant count, add a fucking flower room, get more harvest per year. I mean, if we're talking, they could buy regular size clones. I think it's going to slow you down more than it would help you sort of economize. Also, I could buy, yeah, but I think I think the advantage uh, at a commercial scale from clones tau is is that uh, the cleanliness, the most, yeah, yeah, the most, the much lower incidence of spreading pests, especially bugs. with this because for even just the cold temperatures you're putting it in yeah but nobody wants to wait i mean and so i I would say it's going to be like three months before you're going to have a plant ready to flip to flower like one point from regrowth like that i mean and you're fighting against against real tissue culture just general tissue culture is out there currently like look this is kenomic labs you can do it at home but real tissue culture is expensive well not in this this case you can get it for under 100 bucks if you wanted to get started at home with these little kits from Kenomic Laboratories, and you can make it yourself for fifty bucks if you follow Raptor Grows methods. You just buy I'm the agar. At a commercial scale, having to have a, a, a you know a, a room set aside to do so, this a clean room. I, I, I so feel it's like actually this would be a really good tool for uh, breeding and and pheno hunting because if you're doing like large volume selections and and you're making you know you want to decrease your storage space and you don't have to care for thousands of plants so being able yeah. to kind of put them on ice i could definitely see that being a practical application yeah. but i mean really yeah, i love this i love the fact that they're doing this type of science and stuff like that but i think in the long run it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of like people are just gonna keep moms and they're gonna you know do their integrated pest management and because it's so much more, but that is, it seems like it's more, would be more labor, less labor intensive to just do it the way we currently do. But there are, I, really I feel like there are it, some, yeah. I feel like there are some benefits though. Definitely the hunting aspect, you know, where you could That's just have a seed and then go back. You could toss out all the ones that you didn't want out of the hunt after yep. you already flowered everything back and then go back to the seed. I figured it and out. Be like, bam, this yeah, is yeah. the yeah. winner. I, I think they'd want, want it longer than 150 days of storage, though, probably, right? Like, well, yeah, you re-up re- twice a year. Was, they were saying that at 150, it was 100%. So maybe at 300, it's 75%. You know what I mean? That's a good point. But if it's but that yeah, good, I'm not sure. You have to do it two times a year. You're dealing with actual little pizza of plant that's actually alive and photosynthesizing and running out of, of resources. So Metabolic I think that the timeline and the drop off is probably pretty steep there too when yeah. it does. So then they can sell a supplementary inventory. It's not good because you could, take, you could take all of your little cuttings, right? Before you flip all of your phenos, you could have them all there. And then, you know, in eight, nine, ten two weeks. Two months later. Yeah. 
which is a pretty decent time frame one think, for the storage capacity or whatever. You could have just a little room. room with a refrigerator and you could just keep resetting them like you'd reset clones every 150 days. I do feel yeah. though that you'd have to, I think for, well, you kind know, of get your plant count because they won't have roots. I feel like you'd have yeah, to provision the seed, the seedlets or the, the synth seeds in some way. Cause like, like Dr. Coco says, like, you know, they're losing all that metabolic energy. They're just kind of like in torpor. They're not really, they're not dead. They're kind of asleep, but they're still could, metabolizing. So you'd so have like, to grow them out into like a one gallon or something to get a really good stable plant to redo another encapsulation. I, I think we might be able well, to do some of these things, right? I think like we might be able yeah. to improve the, the ability to sort yeah. of send it into a, a dormant state, improve the length of time, you know, improve the regrowth rates and the speed of regrowth. Um, that's what's going to be this yeah going yeah I, I think those are just the areas that need to be improved before it's going to be like ready for prime time one yeah. thing they but mentioned the here oh let me just you go first say, even with regular tissue culture you have to re you have to grow those out after i think it was a year or yeah don't call it's either a year or three years but i think a year is pretty much standard that you have to regrow them out and take more tissue culture to keep them stored properly ah. you know it's not like you can um, take a tissue culture, put it in the refrigerator for 10 years and take it out and grow it. That's not going to happen. And right. when that's do we get somaclonal variation? Right. I mean, and we're complaining about storing for like 150 days. You try sticking a clone in the refrigerator for 150 <laughs> days and see how that works out for you. Right? I've had people try to do something. <laughs> no, no doubt. Something comically similar. So um, it, it has some advantages, so. but... I don't know that it's ubiquitous. I would say that or I thought this was an interesting point. Um, one of the parts that I highlighted on my copy around you know, the PDF at the end of page five. Um, but this is right below for Jack figure three on the PDF anyways. They say that um, a, a previous study showed that bean and tomato seeds imbibed with ASA or acetyl salicylic acid solution prior to sowing enhanced tolerance to chilling. And that this suggests that the improved germination of ASA-treated sin seeds at about six degrees Celsius could be associated with the reduction in chilling injury. Um, and then right. they also go on to mention that sunflower and um, casamiroa shoot tips, which I'm not familiar with. Um, yeah, they, they, those are two other examples where they use a similar sort of process. So certainly, no, so, I, I want I want to stop and just recognize how awesome like actual seeds are because sure. like, oh yeah actual seeds send germplasm into a dormant state that can survive extremes in temperatures that would kill the the plant itself um, and stay stable for years and then regrow whenever sort of conditions are right. I mean, and yeah, I think they're encountering a lot of the difficulties that actual seeds and you know nature probably took billions of years of refinement to to develop absolutely let's, let's, in fact uh, we call them sorry can i just make one comment real quick i agree with you doc seeds are fantastic i think we're gonna progress with breeding and make them more and more appealing as time goes on what we're ignoring the fact is even the best cuttings right now if you send them out to every single grow room every single farm every single greenhouse in the united states a percentage of them are going to hermaphrodite, even if they're genetically clones 
from a stable plant that is known not to hermaphrodite because there's different stress in different environments that causes a plant to think that it's going to die and think that it needs to pollinate itself or other things to keep its DNA going. So even if you get these synthetic seeds perfectly, even if we get tissue culture perfectly, even if we find the magical breeding that gets the perfect uniform yeah. consistency, there's going to be issues at some point in somebody's grow. So it's not all just going to be perfect and sunshine and rainbows as much as we want it to be any agriculture and any horticulture and any form of nature that doesn't exist. So like we also have to get uh, comfortable with the idea that as much as we're going to get really good with this, there's also going to be some amount of variation and issues and terroir that plays into it and cultivation practices that play into it that are going to make um, Blue Dream in California in Santa Cruz tastes different than Blue Dream from Florida in Miami or in or Orlando or something like that. Yeah. Michigan. And our own expectations and all of that plays a big part. That especially, Yo, that especially I, I, hey, I want to say this part here because Dr. Coco made a good point, which is that, yeah, the seeds are very miraculous. They're amazing. They're amazing. And it took a very long time for them to get as good as they, they did. We call them seeds, but plants used to have spores kind of like fungi did. And then they got really good at making the spore like if you really want to look at it, that's also just genetic material, you know, very, very much similar to the sin seed. That's where we got the idea, right? Um, and so in the same way that spores could become seeds, I think that sin seeds can become, you know, ultra sin seeds or, or something to that effect. You know, we can, and then, you know, the, how does the quote go? Um, the continual improvement of the candle didn't lead to the light bulb. Similarly, uh, we can take, lessons from both and um you know make some truly incredible options for growers so i definitely appreciate what you're saying jack and dr yeah, i have a quick question yeah, yeah, yeah. i did too. what is what is 22c in fahrenheit it's um just under 75 but somebody i'll yeah. google it all right because they, they it's uh, like, yeah 74 something like that they Let did two temperature temperature treatments 71.6 72 yes, six degrees C and and 22 degrees C all right so that's not an issue you could you could easily maintain 70 22 without like extra you know, I agree and I think uh, yeah. another thing that's good to note is since this science is being done we have a baseline and now it can be measured and improved uh, if you measure something, it has the ability to improve. That's one of the beauties of science is now that they've got this on record, other people can try and replicate it and improve upon it, which like Matthew was yeah. saying, seeds can have come a long way, um, but so will this. And I think that it's beautiful to have yeah. options for breeders, especially like I really see a lot of opportunity in that, especially for like pheno hunting and then storing stuff that you might use later on. Like if you're doing one project right now and you want to just put some stuff on the shelf for 150 days, you've got that option. It's like a little pause button, I guess. And it can also potentially, I think, tends to clean things up. Tissue culture, for whatever reason, uh, if you do even without heat treatment or cold treatment, which I think are the other two steps that are traditionally used to help get rid of things like hoplite and viroid, it tends to show a lot of plants that go into tissue culture, come out better, um, healthier, growing more vigorous once they're back into their growth state. So something about that process, maybe there's a hormone imbalance or something, but a lot, I think a lot of older cuttings that people have been holding on to for a long time probably pick up stuff and uh that's one of the many ways i guess that they can be cleaned up i've heard both ways that that tissue culture is more vigorous and 
tissue culture is not as vigorous. It depends on what hormones they use and who you get the tissue culture from. Because if they I guess so, yeah, give you something that variation. stunts it or something that gives it like gibber, gibberellic acid is a lot different than uh, ASA, right? ASA is going to make it go dormant for half a year, where gibberellic acid is going to make it stretch like crazy. And um, depending on when and what part of the process you get from them, uh, there's t- tissue culture is like saying like growing, right? There's like you can have right. like meristem tissue so culture. You can have ways. like bigger plants. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways, a lot of different methods and uh, growth stages. Like I've even seen people that have like revegging, uh, flowering buds that are in tissue culture because that was all they had to save it. So they're like they have flowering plants that are in tissue culture. So it's possible. Uh, not obviously not ideal, but it's one of the ways to rescue a genetic, so to speak. I think we did a pretty good job of covering the synthetic seed article. Do you guys have any more thoughts on that? I guess we could look over at the chat and see if there's any questions that we missed. I do see a question. Maybe somebody, um, uh, I think Spartan already read this, or actually Matthew did the martial artist. How long does it take a synthetic seed to get to I would, growth? I was going to say that if you, don't factor, have a, if, you, if you don't have a plant count, this is even better because, I mean, you could make thousands of these and, and store them in, in, uh, you know, a closet or hundreds of thousands, whatever, if you pack it in right, you could have a shit ton of plants easily. Yeah. I like Brandon's idea too with um, doing large phenols instead of dealing with a bunch of clones, just put them on ice, <laughs> do your uh, choice with the flower, and then go back to the little plantlets, or maybe there'd be. Actually, I only have one part that I'd like to highlight before we stop talking about it. And um, if you want to go to it yourself, Jack, it's right at the very beginning of the introduction. Um, you know, they, they had this little, of course. Do you have the article? Because you can share a screen as well. Everyone has the that is true. ability to. I was packing a bowl over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, let me just do that. Alrighty. Is it visible? It's visible, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's just over here. You know, this is the paper, PDF. Always nice. You know, if you can find these people, if they're on Twitter or something, you know, reach out to scientists. Um, they love to talk about their stuff. That's what I've been, that's what I found. But just right here, I really like this, this small part of the introduction. Um, as of September 21st, over 70 countries have legalized some form of medical use for cannabis. And of course, a lot of people already know this, but I just like that they put this in here. Lots of intros have this kind of um, info, uh, but I liked how they articulated it. So they brought up various places. Um, they also mentioned that uh, the market is estimated to be at 214 to 344 billion USD, uh, you know, which I think is pretty, pretty good estimate. Um, and yeah, so I just thought that it was really cool that they kind of, I just liked that little intro. So I just wanted to bring that up here and, uh, that was really it. Uh, since you brought it up, I will comment on that. I think, um, it might sound shocking to say it for a lot of people, but if you look, look into a lot of the markets, stock markets and things like that, that number is actually, I think on the low end, I think with time, more people using and more uh, legalization happening in more countries. 70 countries is a lot, but there's a lot more countries than 70. And um, once That was US... over a year ago, too, so... Yeah. Right. Well, and once the U.S. goes, I think that'll change because we really dictate a lot of international drug policy because our um, 
positioning in the <laughs> UN. <laughs> and that was legal market, yes, and or both. I think they're pretty much just considering the legal market at that point. I, but, I so. think so. I think because it's sort of about... a billion last year myself. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's I sort it. of a, uh, it's whatever you want to pay for it kind of uh, estimation, but I'm probably speaking yeah. to them. It, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of different things you have to think about, especially if you're making projections like that. Is that a projection or is that just sort of an estimate of the, the current mm. market? Um, but all these are, are good questions to help understand sort of what type of number that really is if we're thinking about it. But Most of us can't even comprehend seen, a number that big, right? No, yeah, right, exactly. It's hard. It's just like funny money at that point. Past like 100 million, it's like, what the fuck is 100 million? Like for most of us, you've never seen million. it close. Past 10,000, it's hard for us to conceptualize like actual <laughs> right, yeah, amounts yeah. of money. I mean, it, you know, if you're trying to like parse the difference between something that costs like 68,000 or 74,000, that's like so much more money than you're used to spending anyways on bulk cases. It's like it hardly, I mean, it, it's hard to feel that difference, right? Like, yeah, no, it's money scales awkwardly compared to what we're used to spending. It's In interesting our, to think that there's like a single company is worth more than that. Like Apple is worth a lot. They're worth trillions. Uh, and most of the big top five companies are worth trillions and uh, or up there hundreds and hundreds of millions, which is more than. But granted, those markets are huge. The total addressable phone market is pretty much everyone on the planet if they can afford it at some point. And where the so total addressable cannabis, cannabis market could be everyone I, I totally agree but at this point it's cool to see i saw a stat that they said it suppressed tobacco use as far as like cigarettes more people are using cannabis than cigarettes in the united states i think it was a gallup poll or it was some semi-reputable poll and i, was I like, saw something like that see, too that's that's impressive if true the thing is even amongst us like pretty hardcore cannabis users i i i'm i'm not sure that we all spend more money on cannabis every month than we do on our phones so it, it's not mm. just sort of the size of the market, but also what percentage of people's disposable income you're you're going to be able to extract from them. Um, no, and with cannabis prices falling. Yeah, well, and it should fall probably. It's an agricultural product, right? So at scale, it can be grown like corn or soy or anything else that right. has much lower than uh, whatever cannabis is currently at the lowest it's probably been in a long time, still worth way more per pound than pretty much every other agricultural crop because of the yeah. illegality of it in so many places, including here in the U.S. still. I mean, there's a giant and unregulated market. The things market. that compete with it are so ridiculously hard to grow, like some exotic mushrooms and stuff that, that like really fetch a high value, um, some spices that are really tough to, to actually cultivate, like to, to fetch what we're able to get per gram like you usually have to grow yeah. some pretty crazy tough things in horticulture or take the white hair to take the hairs off of saffron yeah Which, exactly yeah. or go through a process um but yeah we're a little bit spoiled in that regard because as we all know like cannabis grows like pretty easily like we all grow it in different ways we all have like wild success growing it um you know there's like we teach new people how to do this in their in their houses every day it, it's it's really not that difficult it's adapted around. to grow under so many different lights or environments <laughs> yeah even literally. the worst setting it can grow like i saw the other day a car that had like right. a little like lift gate thing and somebody had a little sprout, <laughs> they're like i think it's a cannabis plant and then somebody's like put some water on it like keep it moist and i almost like i'm not on tiktok so i 
my comment right. wouldn't have actually gotten to them but it would be funny if they like got like a little bit of cocoa or soil and just like threw it on there and just you know got it to grow into a little plant like in their car you know life finds way transplant it out maybe i had seeds growing in the back of my car once but i've seen them grow <laughs> out of the out sidewalk of the cracks like around houses that i lived at because back in the day when you'd get seeds and a lot of the buds you know fucking drop it on the floor it gets stuck in your shoe and then you walk outside and go pops out of the dirt or a sidewalk wherever it lands whenever it gets wet like doc was saying seeds are amazing they can live through way harsher conditions than i've seen plants live through snow and frost and cold conditions but seeds will literally live through like freeze for the whole entire yeah. winter they will literally they're just, alive that they're whole fine. time yeah and they, yeah, they, they didn't right just stop living yeah, yeah i think no. it even makes them better like in some cases I've, i have talked to a lot of breeders that find their germination rates actually go up because they threw them in the freezer and they're like, Oh, I was having problems. They weren't germinating Threw them in the freezer for a few nights, whatever, a week, take them out. And the germination rate went right up. And it almost gives them like that cold snap thinking that they had gone through a winter perhaps in kind of simulating nature in some regard. It uh, was cool to hear people have that experience because you know, it's uh, th that's how the plants sort of really evolved. Are amazing. Some of them, some seeds need to be put on fire for them to germinate. Exactly. Some seeds have a time, a time lapse like five years you gotta wait it won't pop or and stuff I, like that there's weird seed uh what's yeah. the word i'm looking for yeah you know what i mean though diversity season inhibitions yeah i was reading a research report about uh california pines and those that were exposed the plants themselves that were exposed to more fires over their lifespan um uh uh they produce seeds that were more longevitous which is kind of cool, kind of an interesting little thing. Um, how, you know, how or why, not totally sure. But um, yeah, that kind of stuff is really fascinating. I think you got stuck. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition. It's a human tradition um, going back hundreds of thousands of years. You can check me on that, Dr. Coco. But, uh, you know, that's how that sort of associate before domestication, even just like associating with the plant and having people like, I don't know, collect the seeds and then they just kind of fall around where they may as we make use of the fibers and other aspects of the plant. You know, I'm that sure. was like the very beginning. Yeah. I would bet some people had sprouts out of their shit in the day, you know, and didn't have the greatest teeth, weren't probably chewing yeah. it real well. <laughs> and they'd eat some of this fruit and it'd come out and their humanure essentially yeah. would fall on the land, not into a toilet. And they'd see some plants growing out of it and go, oh, you know, you know, somebody figured it out at some point because it happened. Yeah. There's still people doing that to this day. If you look at like the homesteading, they have composting yep. toilets and things like that. And, uh, Life finds a way. I mean, birds literally will eat seeds and poop them out, and that can be how they travel. And cannabis has been shown to travel that way, which is fascinating. I mean, in bird poo is there's been wars fought over it because it's such good fertilizer. I mean, bat guano, or seabird guano is some of the best fertilizer in the natural regard. So, it's uh, amazing what seeds can go through and uh, how they're so pivotal for like our whole entire evolution. I guess we've yeah. we've grown up around the plants as much as uh, they've grown up around us. I think before we get, you know, before I guess to help close out this discussion on on the encapsulation or whatever, I, I really liked all the questions that Dr. Coco included in our um, Chief Homegrow chat. And I think we've, if you go back and look at it, no, I just did that. It looks like we hit them all except for the last one, which was, you know, the what's the state of the research on this? And I think it is important to state that even in this article in the intro, they they talk about how there's very little research on this yet and this is kind of the beginnings of it so like doc said early on this is probably only going to get better 
This is preliminary. Yeah, yeah, yeah remember the first cell phone? In the, in, at the end, they say it's um, promising. I agree. Yeah, I think that what they showed with their data was pretty interesting. And, you know, the acetylsalicylic acid, um, that is apparently sort of the, the current leading edge of, of the research in this field. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what other what other directions it can go. And I think it's interesting to sort of tackle topics like this and just kind of look forward and to think about, as we have done, like, how could this be used if it was developed and refined? Um, I don't think it, it's totally refined yet, but I think it could be. And it's interesting to see what they can do with it. So let me just ask, if, I don't know if you guys would know, but would this process delete the hops latent void uh, viroid? It wouldn't, right? Can, can you say that again? What was your question? Would it sterilize the uh, the meristem, you know, the little piece they use? Will it sterilize it from that keeps hops latent? Viroid? No, no it's, an it's, it's, okay. a, it's an intracellular parasite. It's inside the cells wrecking it all up, unfortunately. Yeah. But I don't think that but with regular tissue culture, that's what they do. They take the very tip that didn't have the chance for the virus to get into. Yeah, but that's what I was saying. I think that but they do so more treatment. There's more to it than with... that. Yeah, I don't think they treat that... it. I don't they, think... they do treatments to it, yeah. I mean, but you're right. Like, like, um, ostensibly, yeah, you could you could fuse those two Get techniques. To that point. And, and yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And my other question would be: they could probably do this uh, method with bigger eggplants, like let like let's say a three centimeter long piece, clean it and encapsulate that so that that shoot off. Like when you start it, it'll be bigger already to start. Is that an option? Might be. There might be pros and cons sure. going that way, though. You'd probably have to scale yeah. everything up. It's sort of like an insect works at, like, you know, when it's this big, but, like, yeah. insect won't work at, as, like, you the know, same, size yeah. of the tractor trailer. After the yeah, like, they're treating the Yeah, the because of the amount of nutrients that it would need, the amount of sugar that it would sort mm -hmm. of burn through. So, Very good but I'm not sure. It could be. Yeah. I think that that's so a theor theoretically, one. perhaps, yeah. but there might be it might the juice might not be worth the squeeze at that size, like Doc right. Got it. Yep. It's my understanding that if it's my understanding that it's possible that you have if you have a plant infected with hoplite and viroid, there are parts of that plant that are not yet infected by it. Is that not possible? It's possible, but but uh, I, I think that's improbable. So so I mean, it depends on what it happens. If I wanted to be right? like absolutely correct in answering his initial question, I would probably be best to say, you cannot, you cannot cleanse your sample from hops latent viroid, but it is possible that you collect a sample that doesn't have it. Right. I don't think it's the opposite. I think it's more likely that you could, well, because what you can do is you can try to initiate, like, a, you know, because because. You're trying to kill the, the organism. I mean, it's it's a viroid, right? You're trying to you're trying to collect enough cells that don't have the viroid in it. And so, and also, we're not. I'm, I I don't want to speak for research that is probably go, going on right now to try to figure out you know how to do this most effectively. But like, um, I don't know how many viroids are passing through through like you know division of cells and that sort of a thing and moving through the plasma desmata and all of that but yeah you the thing is that if i mean the, the viroid is probably moving pretty quickly and as long as you get a little bit of that viroid into the next cell 
you know, it's sort of like whatever you're going to do to affect the RNA is going to affect the RNA of the cell too. So you're trying to treat it. You're not trying to be passive about that part of it. No, that's particular to like hoplite and viroid. There's a lot of other pests and pathogens that you would avoid with this method that you wouldn't necessarily avoid with sending cuttings to the mail or other things like that. But 100%. Yeah, exactly. Right. And if they're encapsulated, they're going to not catch anything on the way either, which clones could on the way get, you know, spider mites or powdery mildew or something else. If they're, uh, yeah. That's a very salient point. Yeah, exactly. So even if HLV is in a kind of a class of its own, but you're very, that's a very good point. You know, those other uh, interlocutors will not be a problem. All right. Well, I have made a straw poll because we have three papers that we could possibly cover next, and I want the chat to vote on them. And I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and just give a quick overview of each of the articles, and then we'll do a quick vote. And uh, see what the chat chooses. All right. So share screen. Boom. We're going to go over to the first one, which is specific way of controlling composition of cannabinoids and essential oil from cannabis sativa, uh, vanilla. And um, I'll just scroll down to the abstract for a few seconds. And you'll see, I'll actually want to show one thing because it is one of those papers where I'm like, wow, these scientists may not have been the most successful. Uh, D for the references, this is the untreated water, untreated water condition. So that's like their healthy, good plant. <laughs> and then here's, here's the A, B, and C have been given some really, really weird chemicals. So this, was this a high school paper? Or this what? is, I mean, come on now. <laughs> now. This is a 2022 <laughs> scientific research article. Okay. I'm just trying that, to show see, the people. That, that, this, this is, is what that's they like claim. one of my biggest concerns. Like, how can you conduct proper science when you can't even grow a plant? You can't. Like, you can't. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Nothing in this is valid if you can't have a healthy right. plant to compare it to. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with that. I'm not. I'm not sure about. Yeah, it should be I'm mandatory for all of these cannabis projects to have photos of the actual specimen specimens. Yep, I think it's important. You know, they weren't even getting high on their own supply because that's a hemp. Looks like are those auto farmers? <laughs> right? Yeah. Were those oh. autos? What, what are those? Here's the second <laughs> article. We? We're, we're, we're going to go into the next one. All right. Research. Oh, I, researcher I, I, okay. shows how a common fungus eliminates toxic mercury from soil yeah. and water. I think this was either shared by this was shared by Skillbo. So shout out to Skillbo one uh, from Michigan like Bros. Grow Show. Pretty interesting stuff here. So yeah. and then the third article is the uptake of carbon dioxide by plant roots, which you might guess this was shared by Brandon Rust. So <laughs> summary, the uptake of carbon dioxide by tomato plants in a solution. Um, so this is a very short one, but- So vote gonna, in the chat, guys. I'm gonna go ahead and here's the straw poll, right? And then I'm gonna click over to the YouTube. Sorry, I'm doing this live, it can be difficult. Let's see if I have copied and pasted it. Control V. Yes. All right. So this link in the chat that you're seeing, I'm going to pin <coughs> from Cheap Home Grow. That is the straw poll, which will have the results right here. As soon as somebody votes, we're going to do live results. So, Shout out to chat. Yeah. I, I love the chat. You got to give the chat some ability to uh, feedback uh, what we are going to be covering for the final 45 minutes to an hour. First one is the uptake 
of carbon dioxide. All right, here we go. It's going to start rolling in. We've got two votes. We'll hopefully get at least, I don't know, 10. How many do we hey, have? Matthew uh, and Brandon voted so far. <laughs> I didn't vote. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do it now, though. Should I recuse myself? I'll no, see no. people if, see. If you want to vote, vote. I, vote. I was going away. over to the YouTube chat to see how many people we've got with us live right now. Uh, let's see. Does it say? I you have to see. remember there's a delay at YouTube. So let, let the, let the, we've got 122 oh, yeah, with us. Up. I'm going to wait for a little bit. We've got yeah. 122 with us. I want at least 20 votes. Come on, people. We got 14 so far. Six All right. I don't want to influence anyone, but I picked the Mercury paper. Yeah. That was the same one I picked. Okay. <laughs> uh, the carbon dioxide paper almost has a majority of 20 oh. votes. Yeah. So there we go. So are we going to have a runoff or? I, I think we'll cover that. Bicameral. And then whichever one gets the second amount of votes, we'll cover. Because I think that paper might be very short. I'm pretty sure that was uh, everything that I scrolled through was pretty much everything that was included. I only saw like three references on the. Uh... Is that yeah, true? Do or... have, do it's really full... short. And then yeah. I found some other research yeah, let's go. Um, let's that go dealt this with one. like rice yeah. cultivars and different uh, uh anoxic and oxic conditions and it just looked at different co2 concentrations in the root zone and the translocation of of uh carbon uh the co2 or uh across uh but there's a there i don't I, I'll, I'll share those later i'll have to dig them so, out so let's just cover this one since we've got it and it won most sentence. votes at light intensities above the compensation point now is Yeah, because a lot of people think the only way they get in their carbon is through CO2, which I always question as well. You Brandon, know, it's really, you it's on, really Did you find this on um, Sci-Hub? Should I go pull it? Did you get the full article? Yeah, do you have access to this? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I have access to it. Let me access. see. Hold on. I couldn't find it anyway. I looked for a little while anyway. No, I, I do, because I Sci-Hubbed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just have to pull it up. It is, I forget when I downloaded it. So it might not be that short at all, right? Uptake <laughs> <laughs> up uh, carbon but the, and but the, the Hey, Jack, don't the commit any works. crimes online on live stream, okay? <laughs> they, um, they carbon dioxide, the, the gaseous form, right? No, well, no, they did. Uh, well, that, that's, yeah, the article was saying it was like a salt, NA. They, they they tagged carbon with a radioactive dye, I believe, and put and in the roots, and they got taken up from the roots and went to the shoots. Is basically my understanding, right? Thrust. Yes. That's how they track it. That uh, makes I'm sorry. Sense. Yeah, but w w from from gaseous transfer across the root membrane. So not the, the, like a. The carbon dioxide was was in a gaseous state when it was uptaken by the uh, plant. Well, it says in yeah, the first one that it was, it was, oh, so it, it, it was a dude. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking. I haven't read that. And the it's whole, talking I, about where a plant had previously been starved. Right. So the first, uh, first, yeah, sentence, yeah. first sentence, it says it's the, the CO2, but it was uh, in a solution of sodium CO2. It was fed that. I'm trying so to find the paper in my files on my phone. C14. Na, Na2. I'm C4 trying to push up and down on the screen. 
<laughs> go go to the top ones, uh, yeah, please. Yeah, they do. Uptake this uh, uh this paper was yeah, pu- was published in 1962. 1962. All right, so I think wow. uh, if Brandon can find the full article, then we could talk a little bit more about it. But I'll go check out the. Yeah, plant plant roots engage with gaseous transfer with both oxygen and carbon dioxide. I I mean, (laughs) less so carbon dioxide. And frankly, I wasn't really thinking that it was a significant thing in in the roots for carbon dioxide. So that's certainly interesting. Um, I was reading about that recently, too. And we know that the plants give off CO2 in the dark. Well, that's what I was told right anyway. Um, Well, they retire. Yeah. Plants respire, so they use oxygen to break down glucose, and then the byproduct of that is carbon dioxide. And if they're not photosynthesizing while they're respiring, they're going to have a net sort of off-gassing of carbon dioxide. Okay. Exactly. And they always off-gas the carbon dioxide made from their own respiration and then absorb carbon dioxide used for, for photosynthesis. Okay. All right, so this article got the second most amount of votes, and Matthew, I think you might be interested in sharing a little bit about uh just the basic overview with the people i can't even pronounce try to pretend to pronounce this so this says uh so this little paragraph it says a university of maryland researcher and colleagues found that the fungus metarhizium robertsii removes mercury from the soil around plant roots and from fresh and salt water the researchers also genetically engineered the fungus to amplify its mercury detoxifying effect. So uh, the fungus produces some sort of uh, sort of product. I don't know if it's a protein or a compound. I assume it's a protein of some kind. I actually forgotten. I did scam. Maybe an enzyme, something that breaks down that or, mercury. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, or a mercury compound. I, it doesn't get rid of the mercury. The elemental mercury is still there, but it's I like that's less- inexpensive. Yeah, that's very nice, you know, and, you know, you could use something like this to turn something that's more toxic, less toxic, and then you could use other, you know, maybe micro remediation or other maybe phytoremediation or just some more traditional remediation methodologies. Um, Yeah, so is this to produce food and mercury-laden soil or is this to actually remediate sort of mercury? Bioremediation, yeah, it's the latter is my understanding. They're bioremediating mercury by using a uh, fungus, essentially, oil. as opposed to the fungus in the soil, as opposed to like a plant. They use like hemp to bioremediate radiation out of nuclear areas. So I, I'm presuming that. They're, yeah, but they're then they're not going to continue to sort of like dump mercury there for processing. Right. They're, they're cleaning that not. area. <laughs> OK. Yeah. So, but there are <laughs> certain generally frowned upon. You know, activities that, that generate sort of, you know, uh, like. contaminants or whatever that need to be remediated on a consistent basis so hps light bulbs well yeah uh, exactly so we we think about um like setting up wastewater remediation setups that that will sort of like treat it on an ongoing basis but this is to go into someplace that's contaminated with mercury and potentially sort of clean it up exactly exactly Uh, this is my understanding was this is just for this is just some level of remediation yeah um and not to like uh not it's to protecting up. plants it's literally to help keep plants survivable in a, such a terrible environment 
So I, I think that's kind of interesting that this is able to help plants grow in soils that are so heavy in mercury that they wouldn't otherwise be able to survive, it seems. Yeah. And then they're talking about they can use this to, to clear mercury in water. So I don't know. It would be interesting to get deeper into that, that research if you're interested in that, but it sounds pretty. Absolutely. Pretty interesting. Brandon, I feel like you've got harness bacteria and something else there. I mean, they're using genetic engineering to, to sort of fine tune this, um, you know, but it's a natural thing apparently yeah, too. GMO. Yeah, no, I know. But our ability to sort of harness bacteria in particular and all of the different things that bacteria may be able to do is certainly an exciting sort of scientific research area of, um, you know, all of horticulture and agriculture, I think. Oh, I do want to make the point that yeast. I want to make is... the point that metarhesium is a is a fungus, and also that uh, um, I'm sorry about fungus. Oh, that, that's no problem. Um, but I would say this that uh, uh, I just want to reemphasize that point that like they didn't they didn't like transgenically put this capability into the fungus that the fungus naturally has this capability. Right. And so like do said, you know what they did do? Because it said that they, I mean, it may be it's, it's ability to reproduce or it's ability to tolerate other things that are often found with mercury or, or, you know, they engineer yeah. these things to, to be able to cope with other challenges and not necessarily to, to give it that ability in the first place, but it did mention that. A lot of these, a lot of these, a lot of fungi, and a lot of these, like like metahesium, for example, there's so many different species. I wonder if it's some, it's probably something that lets it kind of tolerate sort of extreme conditions. We'll put a little bit of its uh, points exactly. into extremophiliality. <laughs> I've seen some exactly uh, because you often find something that's like really cool, but it'll only do it at like you know 41 degrees Celsius or something. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you're like, well, that's yeah. not gonna, that's not cool. We need this to a different yeah range. I wanted to comment on the fact that it was from November 2022 and from the University of Maryland, just to give them some credit. And Brandon, I definitely think you probably want to jump in here because I feel like you've definitely talked in the past a lot about use of microbes and other things like that for uh, remediating heavy metals and soils and things like that. So I'd love to hear your kind of input on this topic. Do we have yeah. the paper? Uh, as far as microbial remediation, it's a lot of times just dependent on their their metabolism. If they are keen chemoautotrophs uh they can use uh you know break down in inorganic substances and they can you know the thing too is um when talk when we're talking about like things like arsenic uh they have different um like like oxidation states they have like you know uh different states that they'll exist in and some of them will be bioavailable some of them will be will be un unavailable just like uh like phosphorus right you know there's a certain ion phosphate ion that, that's available to plant and the same thing like with arsenic it's a certain ion that's gonna that has to be in that that form for it to be a bioavailable so some of those uh relationships with the metabolites will change the chemical uh makeup of those elements I would also emphasize that sometimes the, you know, cool effect is uh, kind of like Jack was saying, it's either only, or, or Dr. Coco, it's only really available, like in a specific context. And sometimes that context is when two or three other organisms are doing other things that make, that sort of create this emergent situation 
that the organism can capitalize on. And you know, that's why it's so complicated well, sometimes. You know, listen, even they, pH, pH too, it. though that that can affect sure. you know the the bioavailability, just like the mineral nutrients as well. So, if you're running your listen. pH a little bit higher, if you have a more acidic pH, you're uh, usually gonna you can run into problems uh, more frequently. If you have heavy metals in your soil and your pH is low, that could be a problem. They infected so says, corn with this fungi, and it didn't accumulate back to, uh, mercury in the corn, even in polluted soil. So, Ooh. that's kind of cool. Yeah. It says here, and, uh, and what, what? Well, just quickly, they genetically modified it to uh, be able to work the mercury more. Is what they did. They didn't like. They just they got that from uh, the bacteria, which I thought was cool. Oh, so yeah, they did. So, so it is transgenic. Then did yeah. I misunderstand? Genetically, yeah, yeah, scroll down, Jack. To where Jeez, they talked about their methods. Yeah. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's all here. Don't don't do anything, Jack. Oh, it's right there. It says here, it says here um, uh, that we show that the plant symbiotic fungus metahusium robertsii degrades methylmercury and reduces divalent mercury, decreasing mercury accumulation in plants and greatly increasing their growth in contained in contaminated soils. My bad. And then later on in the same paragraph here, they mentioned that um, Yeah, so phylogenetic analysis, so analysis of its ancestry and where it is in the tree of life, suggests that fungi could have acquired uh, methylmercury di or demethylase oh. genes from bacteria via two independent horizontal gene transfer events. Heterologous expression of MMD <clears throat> in fungi that lack MMD homologs, which are, uh, these are gen genetic terminologies I'll go into later enabled them to demethylate methylmercury. So basically, yeah, they did get this from bacteria. Good old bacteria teaching all kinds of organisms wonderful, cool <laughs> techniques over millions of years. Um, so this is not transgenic. This was natural transgenic. This is where we got the idea for trans, uh, transgenic. Yeah, horizontal uh, gene transfer there at least. But up at the top, it says in the, in the synopsis, the author's synopsis of this, and maybe the author that read the that read the no in the oh, not in the original article and the other thing that we were reading. Yeah, oh, okay. go up at the top. It said that first paragraph that you had read. We have to go look at the yeah. They amplified it with genetic again. engineering. That's for sure. At a certain researchers point, researchers right? also so genetically engineered the, the fungus to amplify its mercury detox. And they and I scroll down and they talk about they took it from another bacteria themselves. Mm -hmm. So do they add more? That could so be this org misinterpreting the science, though. Oh, so maybe. sometimes when yeah. science yeah. science is written, then there's an article written about the science that's not perfectly interpreted exactly. every time. Absolutely. That no, happens for sure. I agree. So, but, you know, I guess that's I one that way be, you could This very well may be a journalist that misunderstood the science when they were writing up their, their Oh, yeah. And doesn't a similar thing happen, Spartan, with one of the things that's in... Um, the real growers re recharge product they had something in there that i feel like you told me in the past it helped prevent heavy metals or something like that humic acid humic acid yeah the humic acids uh, and fulvic acids will help to supposedly um it doesn't it's more like a sequestering thing it'll like sequester and make it not plant available it won't remediate your soil per se 
but it's like kind of like this fungus where it won't the plant you can remediate that way well you can but i mean it's still there Mm. remediation to me means either break it down to a different molecule or to grow it into something else and remove that off the property well that's what sequestration would be usually right yeah right right so Listen, and there's multiple so ways very, to remediate, but sequestration is one of the remediation methods, essentially. Shout out to mercury is an element. I mean, you're not going to break it down or be able to like sort of like get rid of it. It's got to go somewhere. But this could be a Listen more to toxic this. compound, mercurial compound that is then broken to elemental mercury and a bunch of other stuff. And sequestering it in your own body and then harvesting it is one way. And then another way, maybe that's what I think that's what Spartan was saying was. Um, you know, it wasn't sequestered in the body, but maybe it was like neutralized by like binding with something that right, extruded, right. maybe. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think that's an interesting, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but that's also kind of an interesting idea. I think like maybe instead of using the cells of the bacteria or whatever, or plant or fungus, but like having them excrete a solution that is basically like degreaser, you know, that's where we get like the yuzong bong tech tree of like biotech i guess extreme biotech yeah take a a read this, if he's taken off read oh, this yeah. quick to verify the genes were providing the detoxifying qualities the researchers inserted them into another fungus that does not normally protect corn from mercury the newly modified fungus performed like the metarizarizarin protecting the plants from mercury laden soil so yeah, they figured out the two genes, the genes that work in that fungus and then put it into another one and it made it work on the corn. So yeah, they're doing more stuff than I first initially read in this thing. Did I lose you? We're still here. I was just wondering uh, if no anybody else wanted to participate in the conversation. <laughs> I think we've gotten, yeah, this, we've kind of beat this dead horse now. I don't know what more, more to say really about it. Maybe we could go on to the next article. I hope Brian I don't have mercury in my soil. Don't use HPS bulbs. Well, we didn't even get to see the paper of that one, but still, right, we could yeah. go on to the carbon one. I think that's, I, I think conceptually we've we've talked about it at least. I don't know if I had the link to it so just looking at the abstract and generally talking about it the article wrote up a good synopsis i think it was interesting for sure um let me see the last one i feel like is probably maybe not the work most worth covering but we could look into it and examine maybe what they could do better um i think that's something we could try and help scientists get better also their research also sorry not to interrupt but brandon i think he sent a, the paper to your email potentially yeah, that was for the root uptake in carbon one. Uh, I'll do that when I'm not sharing screen, so I don't accidentally share people's private information from my email. So, oh, of course. Um, I'm going to first, I think we can go into the one with the kind of funny looking plants. Uh, Brandon, I think, left. So shout out <laughs> yeah, to Brandon. Yeah, yeah. He says, I got to go. I got to get ready for a flight in the morning. So shout out to Brandon. You can find him. Uh, rest up, Brandon. Brandon. And at Bokashi Earth. Yeah, safe, up, travel, safe travels to you, Brandon. Uh, much love to you. Oh, no, I just knocked my bong over. All right. Oh, no. oh. it's fine. It's not broken. I think Party it's foul. What fell over? His bong. His bong. Oh no. It happens. I hope it's relatively clean. 
it, it's yeah actually clean because uh i just nice. got this one it's a separate one ready for the show uh spartan rightfully gave me a little bit of a hard time last week for using the vapes on the show oh. it's better to uh you know use the flower when when possible i'm at home i should be smoking like an herb that is awesome myself. Where's the i've been known by? to do that to i've been known to do that to younger people that i know as well good, i'm gonna spark a joint because i got seven sitting right in front of me so good work spartan just saying do we want to get into this uh, article with the goofy looking plants? Oh, of course. Let's, so let's rip, rip it, it apart. apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to uh, tear into their research methods and try and figure out what they did right and what they did wrong and how they can improve. So here we go. Water, oh. full text. Share. Like, I mean, a lot. It seems like just going based on the picture. I mean, I'm curious as to how they screwed up the plants so badly that they grew like that. First of all, let's see the names and the universities. Where are they from? Hold on. I got to get this. Poland, uh, apparently. This is what happens when you get a bunch of chemists to try yeah. to grow some plants. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's the <laughs> nanotechnology. Oh, I'm sorry to all my chemists, chemist friends. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I always say that I feel like a chemist when I'm mixing my needs. So. Biology is just applied is- chemistry. It's okay. University of Health and Sports Sciences. Well, what about health of plants? Department of Paralympic Sport. In Warsaw. Okay, uh, we're using, I can already see. Uh, our, our, well, first of all, the cannabis sativa variety finola. I, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you get little synonymous or like misused words like that. I want to be pedantic, but so wait, oh, but they say cannabis sativa of- here. Yeah, interesting. I think you enjoy being pedantic. I'm a world super heavyweight champion of pedantry. There you go. So <laughs> wait, is there basic thesis here? Like some people are saying that watering cannabis with this specific kind of water is going to make it better. Um. But we're going to test that. Is that what's going on here? I think they're saying we can guarantee a cannabinoid profile by watering it with a certain chemical cocktail. Low pressure, low pressure glow. What the fuck are they calling Glow it? plasma something, right? That's yeah. just a way to track it in the plant like, and oh, make sure that it actually can... Yeah. 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 Okay. That's just a way to confirm <laughs> the plant uptook the chemical to make sure. Okay. So specific way of controlling composition of cannabinoids. Okay, so just think about that. They're trying oh. to essentially use whatever this LPGP. Uh, That's a low pressure glow plasma of low frequency. And the LG, LPGPA um, under molecular nitrogen and carbon dioxide. So they're ex- experimenting with various gases at low temperature, low pressure, and I'll just scroll back down. Are there any citations in this paper? Because like, Go back. It's as recently a series of papers reported these things, and there's no citation attached to that. Like, yeah, why? I hate when that. This sounds like a straw man argument. It, it doesn't. Let's, let's see the work cited. Let's take a look at the work cited. You, you can't say a series of papers some. recently purported without a citation for that. I agree. Yeah, that is weird. All the other papers that we had, you could hover over something. It really feels like they've got their theory and they're just trying to be like, all right, look, here, we've got a certain amount of CBD. Publisher perish, I guess. We did a few tests. 
But um, here are the references. Um, for those who are asking, there are... Wait, what's the conflict of interest? 35 references. Oh, it says here we go down. Go the the authors oh, yeah, declare okay. they have no known competing financial interests or personal relationships that could have appeared to influence the work okay. reported in the paper. Where's, it's, where's the funding? It's, I saw it said funding somewhere. Go all the well, way down. I, I'm not sure that oh. that matters really. In the end, I don't think they really know how to grow plants effectively. Yeah. And we can't right. test things until about different methods of growing plants until we can first establish that we can grow plants. I agree. Doc. Oh, here. That's why, like, I just want to say, like, when, when we're phenol hunting or anything, if, if you're not growing the plants consistently in a good way, there's like, there's no way to judge. Exactly. You, know you can't saying? know what yeah, the phenotype is. You, can't, you is, wouldn't yeah. know if it was a good or not if you don't, if you're not consistently growing proper because it, just your, your environment could screw it all up or make it cold or as mm. cold as it could get. You could really screw it up more than making it better. But, but yeah, like I realized that halfway through my journey like if you're not growing it as good as it can be then you don't know as good as it can be so like looking for breeding or seeding or anything you won't know if you don't know is what i'm saying yeah is yeah there any methodology do they describe like the other paper did about like the amount of light and stuff like that i'll go yeah, back up to that, that i just wanted to i can't describe. imagine what you would do to create plants that look like they can't, that. Even, they can't even pop seeds look at the where we're stopped right now they fucking got seven to germinate out of 25 what and that's on the side of somebody's house and this is Finola. I just want to, I, I, I just want to shout out to you know one of the most common hemp cultivars I, I see in research, uh, Finola, um, right up there with Anka, um, and a few others, Bayox. Uh, I mean, I've look, it's hemp, right? But uh, you know, they they can grow it really well. I've seen people do it. It's not an impossible task. This is twelve weeks of growth. After twelve weeks of watering. And they're like at seven weeks possible. Condition. They never health. talk about the, the light schedule or anything like that. It's like it was outside. It's like they had it sitting outside. We gotta, we gotta go back up to that estimation of crop yield. I can't wait to get to Is that. Is it point. really just sitting outside? <laughs> Trays, water, substrate weeks. materials. All right, here we go. Four weeks in winter. Seeds, hemp and coop, uh, purchased from agro solutions in Poland, substrate, medium sized turf flora balt. Never heard of that or seen that. Pot medium, coarse flora guard, Odenberg, Germany, pH 5.6, total 5. salt 1.2 grams per liter, 210 milligrams per nitrogen per liter, 120 milligrams of P2O5. And anything about per liter. the light? Is it outdoor? Uh, cannabis plantation. Uh, so, yeah, it's this. outdoors, greenhouses. Okay, and the the nutrients they were describing seem probably like they were the bigger. I mean, I don't know what this water is or anything else. Anyways, what are we just making fun of them growing plants? I mean, are we actually engaging with the, <laughs> the topic of the water that they were feeding? Well, I wanted to actually get into the fact that they're trying to claim big claims. Okay, right, right off the top, they're saying specific way of controlling composition of cannabinoids and essential oil that's a pretty big claim when you read that you think holy shit these people have figured out the code they've got the way to figure out a specific and control a con composition of cannabinoids in a plant which is notoriously right. inconsistent right notoriously inconsistent you send the same right. clone to 100 different growers the grow-off does it every year and they all get different cannabinoids terpenes and everything so then you scroll it's, down it's, it's, and then i'm like wait this is not a peer-reviewed paper so where is it was this, this published um, this is published in plant, yeah. plant, uh, was it plant and soil or is that somewhere else? 
in water. It was in water journal journal water. Article belongs to wait. Go down the section. Which editor's got to get like taken to task if it really was? No, I mean you can't. There's citations later on. They cited the stuff that they wanted to cite. But they just make broad sweeping claims that are unsupported also yeah. in the article. I mean, that's that literally happens. what we do when we peer review articles. I mean, you can't do crap like that. You have to cite those types of things. Yeah. So like right off the top, they said all this stuff and then there's no citation. But if we scroll down, maybe some of these articles would. So what, is that? that I mean, the series of articles that basically support their position. So I just want to get to the point that I found interesting if it was actually done legitimately with well-done, well-grown plants, which it appears not to be. But if it were, it'd be interesting to me because they're trying to say like, look, we got a certain amount of CBDA, CBDG, CBGA, CBC, CBCA, Delta 9, THCA, Delta 9, THC, Delta 8, THC, and THC. I like the diagram. So you've got a breakdown of all of them, what they are, and um, it's showing the therapeutic applications of cannabinoids and their conclusions this is kind of probably the most interesting thing because we've looked at their plants. That, we wheel, ugly there. that wheel you're just showing, it's wildly popular on the right. internet. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just saying. Off the, they did a Google search and pulled that. The thing that they're trying to do is claim that they're having a specific controlled uh, profile. Right now, it's zoomed in, so it's not the clearest, but here's a little bit clearer perspective of what they're claiming. Like, okay, all of these plants are going to be within a certain uh, chemical profile is the claim that they're making. I'm not saying that I support this research or that I'm even involved. I just found this article when I was looking for yeah, interesting things on cannabinoid yield. So so go up. This is a this is a chromatogram of essential oil extract from cannabis tea from Finola. Okay. So this is for the, the non-treated top. water control and then three other so all the plants that we just looked at. So the non-treated well, control yeah. is the far right. Sample size was four little scrawny plants yeah <laughs> one of them's the control and then three other little scrawny plants was the basis of their statistical research this is a, a yeah well i don't like this kind of did they have of, like just the four plants or did this? they show just the four plants because last time we looked at an article like this they had more plants but they only showed a few crappy ones so it says trays multiple long tray method <laughs> well, no doubt they picked the best representatives to take pictures of of 230 centimeter capacity. Um, so I'm assuming that they had more plants, but I'm sure it says somewhere in here, the number of plants, maybe not though. You it has to. I don't think it, it should. It, it, sh- yeah, it should right. do a lot of things. Five pots yeah. each. The experiment involved four sets of trays with five pots each. And 20 so plants. 20 plants. Something that almost all of us could do. Uh, Except for people with you know the plant counts and things like that, but three seeds you could of run. vanilla were sown into every pot. The that plants were watered right manually to avoid any casual contact of water with the leaves. They had male and female plants going too. That's not why they did that. Yeah, no color. kidding. And every, I mean, this is the first paper <laughs> that tries to make an argument that, that manual watering is more sort of reliable and consistent. Yeah, that's like, that's like, um, you know, what did I see? It was, you could say, you, you could just not explain something, or you could just say, that is outside the scope of this research. <laughs> yeah. They could say that about anything. <laughs> well, yeah, I think exactly. we call bogus on the overall thing, right? Uh, actually, yeah, I agree with that. But um, I, I think I saw something 
could you scroll downwards a little bit more, Jack? I uh, just kind of, yeah, um, keep going a little bit. Increase the cadence a little bit. A little bit more cadence. Scroll faster. Scroll faster. <laughs> okay, stop. Go up a little bit. Go to that diagram. Like, like Spartan, when Spartan mentioned that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the one that I thought looked neato. Um, yeah, just so like, yeah, this is from, yeah, I think Spartan's right. This is from something else. And if you go right. down, there's no, they don't say. There's no tie-in to their research. Yeah, this is just something. Yeah, this is okay. Our, yeah. Yep. Okay, I wanted to it's check if that was the case. They at least cited it. Yeah, they have the that's, references. It's not a well done good. paper, but they at least have references that were cited. The thing is, it shows that um, it's important to highlight these types of papers, right? Because it shows that researchers can read all the other research and then they can try and put their best foot forward. And they might not necessarily look. They have no conflicts of interest and no funding. Maybe it would have been better if they would have gotten some funding. Yeah, and maybe. <laughs> then, then they could have had an agronomist a... or a, a cultivator who does uh, this, who yeah. can grow larger, healthier plants to that give one. more credence and respect to the research. Because every other researcher who's growing plants that look like any of ours or Brandon's or whoever is growing them at, like Bruce Bugby, look at his hemp plants. <laughs> They're not looking terrible. His yeah, plants look like you gotta healthy have a, 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 you know, somebody. What do you think a, a fair them. sample would be? for a true experiment on cannabis plants, like 100, 50, 50 to 100. It depends on what you're depends. testing. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true too. It really I depends am. on what you're testing. But something like I this, should... that you're going to guarantee the, the, you know, the composition of cannabinoids, you better test it on more than a handful. Um, yeah. I yeah. Just well, and it's really consistent hemp. Plants, There's basically nothing. You know? It's a bunch of nothing. Oh yeah, we've got 0 0.3 CBD, but it's like yeah, it's 0 0.3. Like it's pretty much consistently none. 0 0.3, right? Yeah, it's 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 hardly any of any of the cannabinoids. These hemp's that they're growing, it's like the old school fiber hemp, industrial hemp. They were describing that earlier in the paper as well. And even just looking at these, one is the peak for CBDV, and it's. Well, see, that's the thing. So if there's anything to what they were trying to say in the first place, they, they did a terrible job of covering that up with terrible experimental design and, and sort of research methodology. So, I couldn't agree more. I just I, think, I, uh, yeah, this is good because a lot of people will say, I have a white paper that claims this. And then you go, can I look at it? Can I see the paper? Because I'd exactly. like to uh, <laughs> dig into it a little bit more to find out who's making the claims and how legitimate they are. Because this to me seems like, I wouldn't take much of what they're saying with any credibility, you know? No, I, I, I've told this to my students a lot, but I always say, be the scholar, like take responsibility for the information that you believe in. You go out there and see if it makes any sense. Look at the, the primary research, see if what people are saying, if it, if it stands up, especially if claims are sort of, you know, unbelievable on their face or whatever it is, um, but yeah. Yeah, don't just believe something because you see it in a published paper. But I agree. I think that that's an important lesson. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's very appropriate when you really look at it. It was published in Wastewater and re Reuse. So can we really be very, like, agitated? This is not very good plant, so it kind of belongs in that journal. 
to be fair, I found this by just like randomly Google scholaring like cannabinoid yield or something like that. And it popped up and I clicked on it. And when I sent this to everybody in the thing, I was like, this is not going to be like a first hour synthetic seed or even like in the title of the growing with my fellow growers episode. This is like a last hour, just kind of like going around to have a little bit of a laugh and remind ourselves that not every single piece of science is perfect. A lot of the science needs to be re-examined and, and maybe done a little bit more properly to uh, have legitimacy to the claims and replication and the stuff that we like to see with science. I think science is very powerful and it can be done properly and it can show us a lot of interesting things about the plant. So it should be examined. I love these types of episodes because we're able to go through a good example. I, I think in an early example, they admitted it. Hey, we're early in our synthetic seed game. This isn't like there's tons and tons of people that they were able to reference oh, they're yeah. showing what they've got and what they're able to do now and they're going to keep trying i'm sure that particular group and many others that are going to be inspired by that and even maybe this show will keep trying to learn more about how to best produce uh, consistent uniform cannabis from a synthetic seed in that you know form it's going to be a format it's out there now it's going to continue to be out there i don't think it's just going to disappear but um there's also going to be people refining actual seeds so I know we've got about three minutes left until Spartan Grown has to go. We talked about a lot of research tonight, so I want to kick it over to him a little bit early and just uh, see what you're thinking about tonight and any final thoughts before you got to give your shout outs and get going. Oh, my mind doesn't make sense, man. You don't want to hear the jumbled thoughts in my head. <laughs> but, no, I was just, uh, I was actually just sitting here thinking about taking another bong hit, but uh, outside that, man, uh, shout out to Bates Pone, my buddy Bates Pone. I got with, I get with him about once a week or so on the weekends. And we just do a little bit of work on, on the, uh, the garage build. And, uh, that build is just fucking, that's cool, Jack. I like the smoke rings, man. That's cool. Uh, but so today we found, uh, we were going to, so we have the PVC walls in the grow. We were in the bedroom and we we're like, all right, we got to find a way to hang the lights. And, uh, so we were like, all right, we're just going to, we went to the hardware store and we found these, uh, like they're made out of PVC. It's like a PVC trim piece and it's got like a fake wood grain on it. But for like an eight footer, I think it was 12 bucks or something. So we got some eight footers and we just, you know, measured it, planned it all out on a piece of paper first and then basically put our plan from the paper up on the ceiling and fucking did it. And um so we took uh, three inch screws out to our exterior screws uh, and screwed that into the studs with using the stud finder. And then we, so we get, we're able to get, I think it was six screws in that eight foot board, which, and then we they had kind of a big head on the screw, which we got it on purpose. And we put that in a washer too, to really spread out the distribution of the, uh, of all that pressure. And then we just put the screw in eye hooks or, or not I mean hooks, the eye, whatever you call it, eye bolts, whatever that's fucking called. You just screw them in and we screw those in. So we'll have just to be able to hang the lights right straight from there. And it's all white already. So the PVC white walls and then the PVC white, I just made a post on my Instagram. If you want to check it out, but I thought it was pretty dope. So we could still, we could go in there and literally, well, we'd have to take the fucking lights out, but you can get in there just with a fucking uh, hose and just spray off the whole room after a harvest or whatever or after a reset if we wanted to so we got floor drains too so that'd be pretty dope it was pretty pretty awesome sounds like you're shout doing it right doing yeah it right the yeah. first time yeah and then uh yeah i'll just uh, shout out to chat uh it's cool to see everybody hang out in chat today as always and uh i really enjoy these episodes too jack like what you're saying 
Um, it's cool to have the example. I think the, that first article was really well done or not article white paper was really well done. And uh, we spent a lot of time dissecting it, which was great. Having a little bit of time to go through it was cool uh, beforehand. Um, and then this, uh, and then having the example, especially the bad example, you know, there's a lot of shows and a lot of uh, plenty of uh, different examples of what's right and what's good, but uh, we need to show people what to look out for too. And that's important. So I love that. So peace Sorry, out. Everybody. I got a quick question. Yeah. Is that yeah. FRP? Is that FRP board in that? No, bro, I just, no, okay. it's uh, Dur Duramax is the brand name on it. And it's uh PVC wall paneling it looks almost like corrugated it's got space in the middle just air airspace so it's a flat piece of pvc uh, okay flat piece of pvc material and then like a corrugation thing in the middle and uh they Did it have it a funny smell no not at all it's okay like regular pvc yeah i've heard of people having off gassing problems with certain materials is all i was asking about pretty much oh no we haven't had any of that yeah. i mean maybe if we get the room super hot but we've had the heater going in there pretty warm and i haven't smelled anything so that seems pretty awesome. It's expensive as all get out. It, it's yeah, but expensive, one but time. I once cried yeah. once. Yeah, we got spray yeah, foam insulation spray. behind it. So Perfect. it's like it almost makes a seal. And then between each panel, we uh, we caulked with silicone caulk. You know, you don't even have to do that. They said just lock them together. But we said, fuck that. We put a bead of silicone caulk between each one. So, I mean, that, that sucker is sealed. Yeah, I'd say go check out his instagram cool. that's a perfect setup yeah really <laughs> he's got a lot of seeds to grow so i'm excited for you guys yeah thanks man thanks yeah cheers cheers chat i've got lots of love and chat cheers chat uh cheers you guys man i look forward to the show every fucking sunday so it's awesome to hang with you guys and to learn it's, it's cool to continue learning and to keep growing like i always say so gross love guys gross love, peace out Spartan. always great having him definitely agree we all got to keep growing uh if and when you can, you know, it's uh, easy to slack and lack, but uh, I think we all feel our best when we've got our gardens thriving and we're staying on top of things and we're staying up with the science and learning the good stuff and the bad stuff. I, I really like that we did highlight that bad article because uh, you'll hear podcasts sometimes where they don't show any pictures. You'll, you just listen, right? And they're making all these claims and this and that. You look into the article and it might be something like that one that we covered at the end of the episode there where uh, it's kind of a wastewater treatment plant type thing where maybe not the most applicable to our cannabis cultivation where the other one in the front end of the show is like, this is actually something that might change a lot of cultivations in the future, depending on how uh, people choose to go about storing and preserving genetics and transferring them maybe from one country to another or backing up plants, just having uh, copies of them around. I think a lot of people, if the cost comes down where it's like, Oh, it's a couple bucks and I could keep it for 150 days. Like that'd be a service, right? Like I, I do sex testing. I send somebody, you know, uh, little snips in the mail to see if it's male or female. I don't see why we couldn't figure out a way to get somebody, you know, you send them enough of the plant tissue, they could turn it into a, a couple of those little jelly balls and <laughs> send it back to you and, you know, for a cost. And then you got yourself a little preservation of here's my, you know, 10, 20, 30, however many. And in certain states like Michigan, if it doesn't have roots, it's not a plant. So that's a, a good law and beneficial for those people that are in plant count states. And so it offers options. And I'm really uh, thankful to see the industry kind of continue to grow because a lot of the stuff is stuff that's been working for hundreds or thousands of years. So if you're like growing organic, you, you can do the same old methods that worked for a long time and you'll get some production. And then there's new stuff. Like I think uh, a lot of the stuff that's being done in cocoa is really impressive. I saw somebody growing, I reshared it, a plant inside of a Christmas ornament 
it was like a three and a half or like four inch Christmas bulb. And it was like hung in like by like ropes. So it was like spinning around, but I, I, it was just amazing. They like busted open the bulb, filled it with cocoa and they watered it. And the plant was probably almost two feet tall with like three or four side branches that had pretty nice looking buds. It was like about ready to be harvested. So fascinating what people are able to do that. And like the bonsai stuff, like it, not that it's practical, but really fascinating and cool to see how people are able to shape and manipulate the plant to do as they need or want in certain circumstances. Does anybody have any thoughts on any of the articles that we covered tonight that maybe you didn't get to uh, get out there while we've got a few minutes before we wrap it up? I do. No, but I go ahead, Matthew. Yeah, no problem. Um, actually, let me just check something very quickly. O-P-Q-R-S-W. Nope. Okay. So, all right, that was the only thing I was going to add. Yeah, uh, I just did a little, little search here um, for the journal. Uh, the journal is called Water, but from that last one that we were talking about. And, uh, you know, its impact factor is uh, 3.5 as of 2021. It's five-year impact factor is 3.6. And um, out yeah, of 10 or think, five? Uh, well, it's not a great impact factor. Uh, it's not on a, it's not a, like a 10 scale. It's like a factor of like citations. So like they, they don't get cited all that much. Basically. I see. Um, well, I so, yeah. gonna, um... Oh, sorry. So you can use that somewhat as a, um, as sort of a proxy for like being legit, although there's more to it than that, certainly. And I think Dr. Coco knows more than me about that. Uh, but also you can also check out why don't you get up a journal is kind of shady. There's a guy, um, Dr. Coco, is it pronounced Beale? Bale? Oh, Bale's what? List of Predatory Journals. Oh, Bale's List, yeah. Yeah, Bale's List, yeah. Um, yeah, so there are, there are Can journals you spell out it? there. B-E-A-L-L. And uh, he, I believe he actually got in trouble, quite a bit of trouble for... Um, uh, creating this list of journals that aren't very great, aren't, aren't super duper nice to either the process of science and also uh, the people who publish in that in it. Um, and sometimes they're downright just scummy. So yeah, you can yeah. check out Beale's list for that. There's too. a number of of things that happen in sort of the academic publishing world. Like a lot of authors need to get published, so they'll pay to journals to have articles peer reviewed. Um, yep. journals often don't have, you know, enough money to sort of set up. So then these predatory journals set up and be like, well, we'll publish your, your article or whatever in this peer reviewed journal, if you pay us a fee. Um, and oftentimes they aren't doing any sort of peer review or anything else. It's just a way to kind of get people published oftentimes. And oftentimes the academics are, are kind of complicit in this. They might know that their research wouldn't pass muster at another journal. Yeah, so they, I was going to say, that's probably more common than one might think because someone did a fake article, used whatever, saying eating chocolate would help you lose weight. He paid 350 bucks to get it into a journal and then media outlets picked it up and did a report on it like it was fact. So, well, like, right. yeah, it, that's yeah. all part of a, of a 
plan. Like they didn't just pick it up. I mean, I'm sure there was a press release that whoever published the article sent right. to media yep. outlets mm-hmm. and um, so, prepackaged copy for what the the on air anchors or you know should read about the, the stuff. Yeah. All that stuff definitely goes on. That might be for other reasons of sort of manipulating the public discourse. Um, But then it blows up in their face because then it does get peer reviewed because it does blow up. It gets all this attention. And then eventually some scientists are like, this doesn't sound right. And they're like, this doesn't hold any water. And then they come out and then they debunk it and then they get some acclaim to their own scientific rigor. So that's part of the process. I, I personally love that. Both of those things happen. I think that like the trolling sort of is important too. <laughs> Some the people they do that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But, you know, in academics, even when you're looking for information and you're doing research, you know, it's easy to just get swept up and and sort of be gathering what the authors say without like doing, you know, your own vetting of every individual article that you're looking at. And you find somebody that makes a point that might end up in your article because you know, I saw people talking about confirmation bias because it, it sort of serves as confirmation bias. Like it, it says what you wanted to say, or it's, it's speaking to the point that you want. Why would I debunk what I believe doc? That doesn't yeah. make sense. Right. <laughs> no, well, sometimes you're looking like I, you know, you're sure about something, but you haven't done the research yourself. And you're like, I need to find an article that, that makes this specific point because I need to cite that in, in my article. Um, and, and you find it, you know, there's a whole, yeah and the damage is already done by that point because the people who wanted to hear that to see that to make their point well now they've got this article they can point to yeah and then when somebody else comes over and says well that's not what my research says they go well that's not what my research says and i already think that i'm right and i already have this so you know you can kick rocks and then uh politicians make decisions on that so yeah but no, that you might my, not be interested be in my... politics, but politics is interested in you. And that's all I'll say about that. That was going to be my point is that, yeah, don't trust any white paper. Look through it like we do here. And, and uh, yeah, just, you know me, I'm skeptical of everything now, even more so than I was two years ago. Let's Good science like teaches scientists to be skeptical. That's like part of the scientific process is like ask questions and try and if you can replicate the stuff and see if it works out or even just in reading the studies, like doing what we're doing, going through it with a critical eye, looking at it and, and seeing like, does this look like it's legitimate or is there some questionable things like lack of sources being a big red flag uh, when they're making big claims. And then also really just not able to show in, in the case of cultivating cannabis for scientific research, if you can't demonstrate that your control condition is a healthy, productive plant, then it is calling into question all the other research that you're going to be publishing for, or at least put forward by that paper. So I, uh, I think a healthy degree of skepticism is important when looking at research, but it doesn't mean that all research is bad. There's lots of great research out there. And um, part of the process is definitely going through the, uh, the sea of garbage to get to the good stuff. And people that we fail, we, we have ideas that think are possible and <laughs> it's not, you know, scientists aren't aren't perfect necessarily so they might have a thought that they think is real and they set up a scientific experiment and it kind of seemingly reflects what they already felt and then they try and report on it and then uh, sometimes it gets debunked but that's a a beautiful thing i think in the long run so with that said i want to pass it first to dr mj for his final thoughts and shout outs 
Yeah, this was fun. I hope I hope the audience thought it was fun. I, I never know what they're going to take about sort of our deep dives into science and if we're getting too far off of sort of their everyday experience with their plants. But um, I, I enjoyed it, and I think it keeps it fresh and interesting to to sort of do these kinds of these kind of shows and these kind of examinations. So, thanks, Jack, and thanks, Matthew, and thanks for everybody that, that you know posted articles. I'll have to try to post articles next time. I didn't. I don't pay enough attention all the time to our little sort of group chat that goes on there. And then I just see like a bunch of articles get posted. I'm like, oh, I think I've got homework I'm supposed to do this week. So <laughs> anyways, I enjoyed that. Um, thanks to the panel. Thanks to the chat who always keeps things fun and interesting. Um, you know, I hope everybody's getting ready to, to grow with us in the New Year's Grow Challenge, which is coming up on January 1st. So um all different medias we have different groups for for different medias this year and i'm looking forward to growing in that so that's um that's what i got to tell you today i hope you guys you know come and visit us and i'll be back next week so thank you happy to have you and next up matthew gates I also have to agree. It was a really great debate and we got to talk about, um, you know, the importance of sort of being analytical and being critical. Right. And so I, I'll definitely uh, always emphasize that. Um, and I also want to, to say that if you are interested in more of that kind of information, that is basically how I do my work. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to make sure that I'm up to date about various aspects of plant health. Um, particularly regarding pests. So if you are interested in that kind of thing, you can check out my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, if you haven't already, for pest references, especially lately, cannabis pest references. And you can also find me at xenthanol.com for any professional inquiries um, if you're interested in uh, help with IPM, SOPs, training, uh, even speaking engagements, if that's interested to you. So thanks, everyone, and I look forward to our mutual success. Likewise, and it's always a pleasure having you. And one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, doc, one of the sh shows I dropped in the comments, like what kind of shows do you want to see? And like Spotify is the only people that were actually able to get it. I'll probably do a straw poll in the future uh, on the show like we did tonight. But I asked like, do you want more scientific research? Do you want more grow specific like topics or chat Q&A? And it was like scientific articles was like top voted. And then there was like a mix of the other two. So um, it was cool to get some feedback. And so I, I like kind of that we're able to do those themed types of episodes and, and change it up a little bit week to week. So with that said, Noah, the grow up. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, it was a good show. I uh, was paying attention, listening to everything. And uh, I think I learned a few things and that's definitely not, you know, my forte is uh, the scientific. I'm kind of an old school guy and I've just been doing it long enough, but I've, always trying to learn more i'm always trying to push myself learn new stuff so it's always exciting to hear what other people's point of view is and yeah i had a good time listening and uh if anyone wants to find me i'm noah the grow with two e's on instagram you can find me there see you all next week always a pleasure to have you noah even if you're just uh hanging out listening i appreciate seeing you there in the uh zoom with us and uh you always deserve the shout out at the beginning and at the end so we're happy to have you and last and certainly not least the american one Hello, Jack. As always, thanks for your work as the host. Always do a great job. Everyone in the panel is great chatting it up. Everyone in chat, great to see you. I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG. Most of you know where to find me. And hey, you can hit me up on the IG DMs. I'm always checking them. Well, 
I've been slacking a little, but yeah, I always get back to them. And uh, yeah, just uh, don't believe everything you read even, you know, that's like, people think like that was a if oh, it's yeah. in print, it's got to be real. But yeah, obviously, even in, in uh, the research realm and the white paper realm, don't believe everything you read. That's all I'll say about that. Great point. And with that, I guess I'm last and certainly not least as the host here. Uh, you can find me at Jack Greenstock on Cannabis or Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And if you'd like a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, go to 50strains.com, 50 S-T-R-A-I-N-S, not 50 Shades. A lot of people think 50 Shades like that other book, but it's 50 Strains. So shout out to everybody in the chat tonight. I uh, was able to keep up a little bit there, but when we're talking about the science, it's really uh, hard to get back to all of you. So peace and love and cheers to all you who showed up and were shouting me out at the Cheap Home Grower at Jack Green Stock account here on YouTube. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week, which will probably be a chat Q&A. And we'll get back more into that participation with you all. So bring your questions for next week and look forward to uh, seeing us then talking more about grow uh, specific stuff. So bring your grow questions and uh, maybe breeding questions and other Stuff like that. So Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love, y'all. Grow love, everyone.